Hey, is that thing done yet? What? The, the thing you're making. I'm not making anything. You're not? No, I was just staring blankly into middle distance. So what's that bubbling noise? I thought you were brewing. No. Um, where is that coming from? Nothing on the potions table. Workbench is clear. Humidifiers turned off. Cold fusion generators out of gas. Portal to the elemental plane of water is... Yep, closed. The ochre jelly is sleeping? Hmm. Hang on. Hey, what? what's this door? Never opened it. Hey, there's an elder brain in this closet, dude. Whoa! Hey, big guy. What you doing in there? What's that you just said telepathically to us that the listeners can't hear? Oh, the bubbling sound is the noise our brains make as you slowly drain them and boil the flaccid gray matter. Well, that solves that. Well, thanks, Elder Brain. Hey, do you like hearing two guys try too hard to rap? You do? Well, check this out. Garen, you ready? It's about to drop. Do it. Dungeons and Dragons. Dan here. I started out in 5e. And me? I was sitting behind the DM screen. Yeah, that was three short years ago. I built a dragonborn fighter with no gusto. Fast forward a year. We're buying supplements and copping brand new gear. Incessantly making characters for one another. The only one who cared, of course, was our brother. Building new characters, score them all day. Each and every week, a brand new baby. How's their melee? How's their range? How's their magic? How controlling? How deranged? That's not a category. Just keep going. Uh, I think we were here? Grab a comfy chair and a glass of mead. Another fresh episode in your feed. Other podcasts can be kinda drab. This ain't one, it's the Character Lab. Welcome to the D&D Character Lab, the show based around one thing we as players cannot resist. And that is compulsively creating characters and daydreaming about the validity in-game. Each week, we are bringing a new character to the table, drawing from a plethora of published content, and scoring it against a predefined table of criteria. It is then up to us to use our own personal charisma modifiers, matey, to convince the other that our baby is better. Arrgh, I'm Dan. And I'm Garen, and this week it is so on. Not only are we highlighting David Adams again with his high C supplement called Black Powder Pirates, but we've listened to those of you that felt like this show's lost its edge a bit, and we'll be ratcheting up the competition this week. Some of our listeners felt that we got too complacent in our show's old age. And then it really hit home when Sebastian Allen featured our show on his podcast review podcast, At Pod Applaud. He said he was a big fan of the show, but his only gripe was that we didn't compete as much as we used to. So, here's what's going to happen. The last Wednesday of every month will be super competitive episode where there will be a prize on the line. Since this week we are building pirates... We've used thousands and thousands of Patreon dollars to purchase authentic pirate booty off the internet. We have not opened it yet, but it has got some serious heft to the box, and I cannot wait to see what I get when I win. False. But you know what? Losers first. Let's hear what you think is good enough to take home this booty. A young centaur raised in high society, Cranish Berendal, spent his days socializing and participating in friendly duels in lush green gardens on pleasant afternoons. Heir to a fortune and a romantic icon of nearly everyone in the city, 
Cranish lived a carefree life and was happy with it. That was until he realized what he was missing. One year to celebrate the summer solstice, a friend of his brought a rough looking date to the annual purple party. Not only did the newcomer not wear any purple, but his dirty coat most assuredly had some blood on the lapel. Most of the attendees were repulsed, talking rudely behind their cups and shooting him dirty looks. But Lord Cranish cantered over and introduced himself. Name's done it, Rockdiv. You name it, I've done it. He cackled beneath some weed-stained teeth. Cranish was fascinated. He spent the rest of the evening finding out everything he could about this strange character. He learned that there are people called pirates that sail on ships wherever they want. They take what they want and fight whoever tells them that they cannot take what they want. It was like being rich, except you killed people with your own hands rather than those of your hired muscle. Cranish decided right there and then that he would leave everything behind, all his lands and titles, and take off the next day with only his wits, a revolver, and his trusty butler, Edward Mormon. He gave Dunnett a sack full of jewels to grant him and his butler passage aboard the leaky boot under the command of a female gnome known as Captain Mango Night Noodle Tinker Toy. Lord Cranish proved himself very confident being a pirate and quickly earned a place among the crew. So I am bringing to you Lord Cranish Barandil, a freebooter rogue, level 15. Of course, he is a centaur race. He is of the courtier background because he's a fancy boy at heart. And he is ready to sneak attack his way to the first real victory. Well, the only suitable opponent to a centaur in my book is a pirate minotaur. Let me introduce you to Brayhorn. With few Minotaur settlements left in Faerun, it's not very common to see one walking around on land these days. The sea, however, has become an adoptive home for these large, intimidating creatures with their keen sense of true north, undeniable strength, and natural leadership abilities. Brayhorn cannot remember a time he was not at sea. In fact, he likes to tell people he was born there. Having worked his whole life as a contracted sailor on various vessels for different crews, it did not take Brayhorn a long time to figure out that a pirate's life was indeed for him as he made often threefold the amount of cash, and the supply of rum and ale was endless. The company you keep in pirate vessels, however, left much to be desired. The type of work that Brayhorn was accustomed to doing was routinely robbing innocent adventurers and scamming businessmen and tycoons out of their hard-earned money. The captain of Brayhorn's crew, a small halfling man named Simond, whose reputation as a ruthless captain with seemingly nothing to lose was often far bigger than his presence himself. He would routinely use Brayhorn as the muscle in carrying out the will of the crew to get what they wanted from their victims. One day, when settling in the port town of Luskin in the Sword Coast, Simon approached Brayhorn with two fistfuls of ale in tow. Listen, we have a lot of opportunity ahead of us. The island of Norheim, in the Moonshay Isles. Yeah, it's full of treasure. Rumor has it though, it's all stashed beneath the orphanage there. That's why that place is so heavily guarded. I've always thought that was strange. Anyway, I have this map of where all the goods are. We just have to burn the dang thing to the ground, and that place is ours for the scavenging. Brayhorn heavily objected to this. Simon, you've lost it. I'm having no part in this. I am not killing children on the chance that there might be some treasure stored beneath an orphanage. Simon quickly dropped one of his ales and it shattered to the tavern floor. The room quickly fell silent. 
I don't remember asking if you wanted to go. His hand clutching his revolver, which was now resting squarely in Brayhorn's breastbone. You're coming! Or so help me, Sachelis, I'll kill you here and now, and use you as chum for whatever sea creatures would eat the meat of whatever the heck you are. Brayhorn, fist clenched tightly, said nothing and boarded the vessel just in time for their departure. As the boat departed, many of the men cheered to the sea foam with ale and rum, with the promise of treasure fueling their alcohol-augmented glee. Brayhorn did not sleep that night, though. Could not sleep thinking about what he had silently consented to by boarding the ship. He remembered a time when he was very small of a large tentacled creature emerging from the waves below and nearly swallowing a vessel he was aboard. He spoke aloud. I wish it would happen again. Right now. Suddenly, the waves rocked the boat back and forth a bit on this otherwise calm evening, and a large tentacle appeared over the edge of the ship, with the waves seemingly speaking to him, saying, Say no more. It began to downpour. Frightened, Brayhorn rushed to his quarters as the sea became rough and unruly. The storm picked up just as the ship was lifted out of the water and violently split in half. Many of the men aboard were asleep, and thus in grave danger. Brayhorn found that when he entered the ice-cold water, he was suddenly able to breathe and swim at lightning speed. He swam quickly toward the shore and made it in what seemed like no time despite being several miles that he had swam. Devastated and trying to process what had just happened, he wept at the seaside asking if he was responsible for what had just happened. Suddenly, a tentacle appeared out of the water and onto the shore and inscribed in the sand, Yes, I can help you if you help me. From that point on, Brayhorn has been the captain of the Kraken, a large, intimidating pirate vessel accentuated with a set of horns and tentacles, able to control aspects of the weather and channel the magic of the sea to carry out missions on behalf of himself and his new patron, the Thing Beneath the Waves. Brayhorn is a level 15 Minotaur Warlock Pact of the Compass of the Thing Beneath the Waves patron with the pirate background, of course. And that is all from this supplement featured this week, Black Powder Pirates, except for, of course, the pirate background, which is a variant background of the sailor. So, Dan, I don't know if you realize, back-to-back weeks have creepy gods whispering to people. There ain't no god in this one. This is a Thing Beneath the Waves. And those were the waves talking. I don't think they yell. Uh huh. And that was a very long message for the tentacle to be inscribing on the sand. I imagine that would have taken a while. Yeah, it would have taken a while, and also it would have probably been very confusing. Probably way more efficient <laughs> ways to communicate. It'd be nice if it did it in cursive, though. People should use cursive more often. <laughs> Agreed. But now that the introductions have been accounted for, let's proceed to the main deck for a word from our sponsor, and that is Tabletop Loot. They're full of great products and even more heart. Their store has shirts, mugs, tote bags, and hordes and hordes of dice. What really makes this place special is they support gaming in schools by having sales where every set purchased means that one will be donated to a school gaming program. And what's more is their dice selection can't be beat. We don't have time to list them all, but I'm going to go ahead and highlight what I would use when playing Brayhorn, and that's Bleached Bone. They're nice and simple, clean black numbers on white dice, and what's more harrowing, that Jolly Roger combo to roll some high seas crits. When you click the link in our show notes to get a set for your next character, use the code LABRAT, that's L-A-B-R-A-T, to get 15% off your total purchase. Now, this works on everything in the store except for the metal Norse Foundry dice, which are also pretty special. So go ahead and grab some fresh loot 
and give boring the boot. Thank you, Dan and Tabletop Loot, for that message. Now, if you're just joining us, this will explain the show format. We got nine categories where we have prepared arguments for, and in each we will state why our character deserves a negative two to a positive two. A positive two is sinking your opponent's battleship, and a negative two is walking the plank. Finally, once per show, each of us will force the other to roll for the score in which we are arguing, and that is as a charisma save using the charisma score for our character. Then at the end, whoever has the most points wins that booty. Now, it's time for the real deal, Dan. The big show, the championship of April. Melee category. You ready for this? Let's do it. Okay, first of all, as a centaur, I got hooves. 1d4 plus 3 damage. I have also got a long sword. 1d8 plus 3 damage. I also have got charge, where if I move at least 20 feet towards a creature, I can use my hooves attack as a bonus action. And... I have got sneak attack damage, which is a whopping 8d6 at level 15. These are very helpful skills that I have used when I fought fearsome pirates like Giles, Taper Whiskers Jones, and Old Long Johnson. So I am arguing a plus one. Uh, I also like how you pronounced charge as charge. It also reminded me of your courtier background as being a, such a gentleman. I do think that you're worthy here of a plus one. I don't think anything is objectionable. I'm going to save my fire and fury for later in the episode because I know sure as heck you're going to be doing something to get me charged up. Or, uh, sorry, charged. I'm arguing a minus one here. I've got horns, 1d6 plus three piercing. I've also got a feature called goring attack, which allows for use of that horn attack after traveling 20 feet as a bonus action. So I can go ahead and travel that 20 feet, use that bonus action, and then attack with a weapon, which is a spear plus eight to hit, 1d6 plus three. Still don't think this is that great at a level 15, so I'm arguing a minus one. Yeah, that's pretty garbage. Okay, do you have ranged? I have a short bow with a plus five to hit, 1d6 plus three piercing damage, also a minus one. That is definitely a minus one. I am arguing a plus one with range. I have got a revolver. As I mentioned in my backstory, of course, and that is a plus eight to hit. That does 2d8 plus three damage. I have also got that sneak attack damage with my revolver, and I took the firearm specialist feat, where if I misfire, I roll a d20, and if it's higher than the misfire number, it doesn't misfire. And also, if I make an attack with a one-handed weapon, I can use a bonus action to shoot my revolver. So that is bonus action revolver shots. I once shot the captain of the SS Stuffy Muffins from 300 paces right between his noses. I'm arguing another plus one here. Yeah, I'm not going to argue here. You're clearly better off than I am. You've got a revolver. It's really cool. You're a pirate. Come on. I am crushing you. I know. I understand this makes the gap four, but I'm going to come back strong and burninating. But why don't you go ahead and head us off as a rogue? Okay. I have got a plus 13 to acrobatics, which I think is pretty magical when it comes to backflips and stuff. But you know who else doesn't have magic? A turtle named Susan, and we've all seen how well that worked out for her, so I'm arguing a minus one. No, minus two. This is minus one. Plus 13 to acrobatics. No, you're not getting a minus one. Acrobatics has nothing to do with it. So, I'm arguing a plus two. I'm going to make up all the points here. I have Crown of Stars, which is one of my mystic arcanums at seventh level. So, it's a seventh level spell, and seven star-like motes of light appear above my head in orbit until the spell ends. Now, you can use a bonus action to send one of the motes streaking toward one creature or object within 120 feet, and when you do so, you make a ranged spell attack. On the hit, the target takes 4d12 radiant damage. Whether you hit or miss, the moat is expended. Now, wow. the spell ends early if you expend the last moat. 
I also have Thunder Wave, Call Lightning, Eldritch Blast, Thunder Clap, Elemental Bane, Thunder Step, Shadow Blade. I also have a spell that we've never featured here before called Tidal Wave, and it's a third level conjuration spell, which I'm able to cast at the fifth level, and it creates a Tidal Wave 30 feet long, 10 feet tall, 10 feet wide, and it's a deck saving throw for everyone in the area, and if they fail, they take 68 bludgeoning, and they're knocked prone half as much on a save. I also have something called Maelstrom. Never featured this on the show either. We've talked about it as in passing, but never said what it does. It's a fifth level evocation spell that creates five feet deep of water in a 30 foot radius. It's counted as difficult terrain, and when a creature starts their turn in that affected space, they take a strength save, and if they fail, they take 66 bludgeoning damage and are pulled 10 feet towards the center of that pool of water, which is pretty neat. I also have something called the Storm Shield, which is a feature of the Thing Beneath the Waves patron. If a creature within 60 feet of me hits me with an attack, I can use my reaction once per long rest and deal out 5d6 lightning damage. It's an auto hit, no save. All of that considered, there is absolutely nothing stopping me from getting a plus two. Except you have three spell slots. Except for the fact that I've got quite a bit of cantrips in there, including Eldridge Blast. You have four cantrips, three spell slots, Ugh. I mean, I'm not convinced that a warlock has the power to put through a plus two on burninating without some really high damage. I mean, that 4d12 is pretty nice, but otherwise, I'm not as blown away as you made you think I would be. Okay, I'm going to take a plus one because I agree with you that these spell slots are so incredibly valuable, and at 15th level, you still only get three. I mean, it's something we've touched on before. I'm always very disappointed by this. They, they tend to try and make up for it in other areas, but... At the end of the day, you still only have three. Let me ask you this, though. I honestly do not know. How many shots do you get with your Eldritch Blast at level 15? I, I get three. Three is pretty good, though. It's a D10 damage. It's all right. All right, but uh, yeah, we're in agreement that this is plus one territory. I love your features so far. I'm loving this Under the Waves uh, Warlock. I was very tempted to take this myself, so I do like hearing these features again. What do you have for control? Another extremely strong category. So I have a 60-foot swim speed because this patron uh, grants you the ability to breathe underwater and a 60-foot swim speed. Command the Gale, which is a 14th level feature of the patron, the thing beneath the waves. I can control the weather without expending a spell slot once per long rest. Uh, I cannot decrease, this is an important note, I cannot decrease wind speed or precipitation. So that's kind of an interesting thing, but I can make it rain harder and I can make those winds cause choppier waves. But once I turn it up, I can't turn it down. I also have something called Pact of the Compass, which is featured in this supplement. It gives you a black compass. And basically what this does is you can whisper the name of somebody that you know, and the needle of the compass will point in their direction for the next 24 hours. You can do it once per long rest. At 11th level, you can cast Find the Path using the compass as the uh, required divinity tool. And that's once per day without expending a spell slot. So some nice features there. I've also got a second level invocation called Grasp of Hadar. It allows me to pull enemies 10 feet closer to me on a successful hit with my Eldritch Blast. Nice and controlling. And then, there, of course, there are several original invocations from this supplement. Starting at 7th level, there's something called Crawling Eye, which I hate, I hate to mention it, but as a pirate, of course I've got a wonky eye. And that wonky eye can get up and walk, and it's used as an arcane eye. Now, it's not an arcane eye. It's a physical eye, but it can go and look at things for me. But if it's destroyed, my eye's gone. I have a 12th level invocation out of this supplement called Baleful Gesh, and it allows you to use the spell Gesh once using a warlock spell slot against a creature you've successfully tracked with your black compass. You can't do it again until you complete a long rest, 
and then a 15th level invocation called Rapture of the Deep. I really like this one. One creature that you can see that is currently swimming in the water must make a wisdom saving throw against your spellcasting DC or be compelled to dive to the furthest depths of the body of water and remain there for as long as they can following the rules for suffocation. The target must be in water deep enough to be fully submerged. Uh, you must complete a long rest before you can do it again. I also have Gust of Wind, Control Water, Control Winds, Watery Sphere, True Seeing, and then an original spell out of this supplement, and I promise after this I'm done, called Summon Island. It's a 5th level conjuration spell, and basically you can target an area of water up to 10 square feet within range, causing the ground below that area to rise above the waterline, and any objects resting on the sea floor are then lifted in the process, and it creates like a little island. So, all of that, easy plus 2. There's tons, tons, and tons there. Okay, so I was going to come down hard on you for not having battlefield control. Then you busted out that feature that allows you to effectively drown people or make them drown themselves, which is brutal. Pretty sinister. I love Summon Island or whatever that was called. So I have no problem acknowledging that this is effectively a plus two. So you got to roll. My pirate boy? Yeah, he's got an 18 charisma. Of course he does. One heck of a captain. All right, I rolled a 14 plus four. That's going to get me an 18, and that's going to grant me a plus 2. Dang it! Okay, okay, that's fine. That's fine. I am arguing a plus 1 because I'm being honest with myself. This is not plus 2 category after what I heard you did. Guess my passive perception, Dan. I want to say you've got a 16. Uh, it's a 22. Woo! Ain't nothing getting past you. I have also got blind sense of 10 feet, which of course means I know everything that's going on within 10 feet of me. I've got cunning action as a rogue, and one of my third level features is called Scoundrel's Tactics. When I hit a creature on a melee attack, when I have advantage, I can choose to knock the target prone, blind, or deafened until the end of its next turn. I have to finish a short or long rest before I can use that feature again. Now, I obviously have way more control than the famous pirate Gossipy Gus. You know, he had the phrase, loose lips sink ships. He lost a lot of ships that way. And I also have better control than Winslow Fourfingers for obvious reasons. So I think this is plus one category because it's not an impressive list, but those features are useful all the time. Certainly. Yeah, I really don't think that you've got the, the magnitude of control at 15th level that would grant you a plus one. I think this is more zero territory for you. I can't back down and just grant you one less than what I got here because there's tons in my toolbox. Ah, all right, fine. You couldn't take that hit, so let's see how you do in tankiness. Well, an AC of 14 is my worst feature. I've got 120 hit points, and I've got uncanny dodge. I mean, this is another a short list. I'm a rogue. I'm not going to be busting out all these invocations, but I'll have you know the entire ship, Ruby's Castle, captained by Ruby, and her scarlet shadows, they all stabbed me at once, and I'm still here. Plus one. Hear me out. I think we can go one for one here. I've got an AC of 11, but... I got 180 HP. 180? I took the tough feet. Oh. And another benefit to this patron is my resistance to lightning and thunder damage, thanks to that storm shield feature that I mentioned. Also have something called Fiendish Vigor, which is an invocation. It allows me to cast false life on myself at first level without expending a spell slot. So all that considered, the AC again, kind of like you, my worst feature. I think this is plenty worthy of a plus one because that is one beefy minotaur. If I get a one, you get a one. I can't argue with that. So why don't you take us to Ally Assist? Well, before I do that, I'd like to talk a bit about our Patreon. Because it's constantly evolving based on the feedback of our wonderful community. So be sure to check that out. And if you're curious, 
just join up. It's five bucks. We charge you at the door. You get you pay your five bucks. You've got access already to 26 bonus episodes. So go ahead and binge up, and then you can just leave. We don't suggest you do that. Now, I'm talking ally assist here. A zero. I've got warding wind. Got a ninth level invocation called Curse of the Albatross. As an action, you can place a curse upon a ship, causing disadvantage to all skill and ability checks made by the ship's crew to control or interact with it. The curse lasts for 24 hours. You cannot use this ability again until you complete a long rest, and any curse is still in effect, and when you use this ability to place a curse upon a new target. So, the reason I place this in Ally Assist, if you guys are all pretty battered up, you're in a long rest, you see somebody coming, the watch calls out and says, you know, the ship's coming, I would place this Curse of the Albatross right on that ship, and hopefully we can continue to get a good night's rest. What do you say? Okay, I'm gonna say that this is definitely a control feature that you have placed in the Ally Assist category, but I'm not gonna fault you for that, because I did the same thing. I'm actually arguing a plus one, because I think my features are better than what you have. First of all, I'm a centaur, so my allies can ride on me. Idiot! Also, I've got a feature called Press the Advantage. When I land a sneak attack on a creature, I can decide to deal no damage and instead stun them until the end of their next turn. They don't get a save like a stunning strike, so I think this is worthy of a plus one because if I stun the creature, all my boys can just pile on them. I do like that. And I'll have you know, my back is not to be trifled with, because I managed to carry Garrick the Slab Schultz two miles when we got stranded on that desert island. And man, thank goodness that we found the silent sloop and Captain Ed Norrie, the Hurricane Prince, took pity upon us. Because I don't know that I could have done mile three. You got a little bit better control in ally assist than I do. I'll take a zero, you take a one. What do you say? I'm happy with that, Dan. I don't think that you want this booty enough. I'm all about this booty. I'm getting headfirst into this booty. Why don't you tell us how balanced you are? Because if you truly want that booty... You better be doing your squats. I'll have you know, Abel Seaman, Willoughby Gatfried of Noon Bay, once told me himself that he was impressed with my balance. Because I have got a 16 strength, 16 dex, which I realize is exactly like my last character. I have got a constitution of 10, intelligence of 12, wisdom of 14, and charisma of 15. I have got 7 proficiencies. This is a plus two. I got a 40-foot walking speed. Yeah, I won't argue with you. I'm going to argue a plus one because I'm not fully balanced. I've got good HP. That helps make me an attractive play option, but that AC is pretty glaring. Got a, a uh, strength of 16, dex of 10, con of 14, intelligence of 10, wisdom of 12, charisma of 18. That makes my spell save DC a 17 and a two hit on ranged attacks of a plus nine. Which, that's nice. Boy, that, that's pretty scary on that Eldritch Blast. Plus 9 to hit, dealing out that 1d10 force damage three times per turn. Now, again, that AC's a little low, but I'm also proficient in Arcana, Athletics, Deception, Intimidation, and Perception. Got that passive perception of 16. I will take a plus 1. You, you, of course you'll take a plus 1. Just because I'm friendly doesn't mean that this friendly charisma scenario is going to be daisies, okay? This could get a little dicey, and this week's Smooth Operator scenario and Spitting Fire scenario was provided by Ben Potts, and it reads... It was five sessions ago. The party was separated. You and the party warlock, James Dark Noir, were trapped by a gang of mind flayers. That's when James revealed that he'd led you into this trap and that he was a sociopath working for the Illithid. You managed to escape, but were forced to kill him. And upon returning with the party, you decided not to spoil their memories of him by telling him the truth about what happened. As far as they know, James died heroically saving your life. 
Ben, thank you for giving us more credit than we really deserve because I would never do that in game. Oh, no. Of course, that's a problem because as of now, at a fancy ball at the King's Court, you just spotted James across the banquet hall. You don't know what he's doing there, but you know there must be a reason he never gotten back in touch with the party and possibly you're the only person here who knows how dangerous he is. How do you, with the help of your party or otherwise, stop James from doing whatever he's doing? Here's what I would do, okay? In a smooth scenario, I would hop up on stage at the ball where the band was performing and yell, Remix! And then I would cast Fog Cloud, heavily obscuring the dance floor for James. Everybody else thinks that I'm just putting on the fog machine. I would quickly say James's name into my compass so that I could keep track of where he was in the room in relation to me and my party. I would then quickly explain the situation to the party and help escort them out the back door to safety. I know this isn't the greatest thing. That's why I'm arguing a zero. Yeah, that was that was booty. I mean, that's not good booty like the booty I'm about to win. That was some booty booty. That was, okay. I, it started off nice. You peaked on the Fog Cloud remix. Okay, so what do you got? Okay, so with a passive insight of 17, I get a pretty good idea of what he wants without even asking. So I call over my other crew members, Severus Bloodcraw, Criv O'Connor, and our first mate, second date. And I ask them to go get me my coat. I then persuade the DJ with my plus seven, who of course is Pirate Bob, the famous pirate DJ, to play some good dancing music. I challenge James to a dance-off. With my plus two to performance, this is just okay. But I make up for it with the big finale when I signal my team to throw me my coat. And with my plus 12 to acrobatics, I step right into my coat and walk off the dance floor. When my team says, wasn't that James? I use my plus 12 to deception to say, nope. I don't even know what to say. There's a lot of detail in there that really doesn't have anything to do with anything. It would impress a lot of people, but... I'm calling him out. I'm getting all the eyes on him. And then I'm just strutting off. Yeah. You got some impressive proficiency numbers, so you can get a plus one. You're not getting a plus two. That's that's some straight garbage. I think this is a plus two worthy. It's My not, team doesn't even it's not, know. It's not. No. They still doesn't know he's alive. It, no. I would really like to hear how you handle this aggressively, because I don't really even understand what you just did. So, I've got a feature called Unflinching which means I'm immune to fear and I can't be surprised. So while this might be unexpected, I'm certainly not shook. So I use my plus 12 to intimidation and I yell, James Dark Noir, I challenge you to a duel. Lady Alalora, the bloodthirsty, throws me my revolver and I use my feature shoot first, which means when I roll initiative, I can draw a firearm and make an attack against the target with lower initiative than me and I shoot him right between his nipples, which is his heart. Plus two? And I'm calling back to my backstory where I talked about dueling in the garden. So this is my roots as a lordly centaur. We might both get plus twos here because I'm arguing that as well. I would excuse myself to the bathroom and use my Mask of Many Faces invocation, which allows me to just cast Disguise Self at will without expending a spell slot. And I would disguise myself as one of the illithid that I saw in the trap. I would then come out of the bathroom, approach James, and tell him that Brayhorn was in fact here and that he had to kill him. I would tell him that I saw him go to the bathroom and that he should go there and try and take care of him while he's in there for a clean escape. I'd slink back off into the bathroom and disguise self and wait for James to arrive. Once he enters the doorway, I would use Power Word Stun, which is an 8th level Mystic Arcanum of mine, and rush in to gore him. Bloodied and battered, I would then pick him up and give him a whirly in the toilet while he was stunned, leaving his head in the toilet bowl for the duration of that stun, plus 2. I do have a few problems with this. First of all, 
If a Mind Flayer walked into this party, wouldn't people be bothered? Listen, I'm slinking in the back. Then second, you walk up to him as a Mind Flayer, tell him that you are in the bathroom, and then he heads to the bathroom, but then somehow you still make it to the bathroom before him. I'll say, wait a minute, like, g- give it a couple seconds, and then head into the bathroom, because <laughs> I think he's in there. And so I slink off, I, do my thing, and then hey, I meet him in there. that Minotaur you want? He's in the bathroom. Count to five Mississippi and come get him. Let's face it. You got a plus one in the smooth operator and you really didn't deserve it because you just threw out a bunch of random abilities. I stunned a dude, gored him, and then gave him a whirly while he was stunned keeping his head in the toilet bowl. You really think this is plus two worthy? Yeah, I used a ton of my abilities. That's plus two worthy. It's great. You did use a lot of features, so I I can't hate on that. I can grant you a plus two for that. Okay, plus twos for everybody. Now, before we reveal that I'm taking home some huge booty. I'm gonna step into the X Factor just for a second and and talk about this character. Would I play it in a campaign? You know, it's, it's a cool patron, it's a cool boon, but honestly, there's not enough damage being dealt here for me, uh, and and I, I just I really have a problem making a control-centric warlock with that reliance on spells because they're so valuable. As we touched on, a lot of my control was hinging on spells, and I just don't see myself as player using spells when they're that important to damage dealing for a control scenario. So would I play this? Probably not, but I really like what he did here. Right on. I really enjoy my rogue uh, features. I like the scoundrels tactics. So I like the features that allow me to stun or blind. I mean, that's a really nice take on what a rogue is normally doing with only that one attack per turn. You know, if if you're just taking a shot and you deal some damage, I mean, that's not always the most satisfying for a turn. So what David has done is given you options to really put some more dynamic features into combat. So I like this free border rogue. He does take a while to ramp up, but he's already got shoot first and scoundrels tactics at level three. So right off the bat, he's got some nice things to offer. And I think a centaur pirate is the combo that uh, people just aren't appreciating enough. Yeah, I certainly wouldn't have ever imagined that one up, but I did manage to do a minotaur, so why not? This has got to be one of the most important score announcements that we've ever had in the show because there's a big, big prize on the line here. So, Garen, tell us who the winner is. Dan, after 30-some minutes of intense combat, I am happy to announce... I have defeated you seven to five. Mm, mm, mm. You, you didn't even make me do a charisma save, you big dum-dum. Oh, with so much on the line. But you know what, Garen? I can't be that mad because we pooled our Patreon money together. Can you please open the box? I'm dying to see what's in there. Before I do, I want to thank the fantastic people on Twitter and Facebook that gave me all the great pirate names and ships that I was reciting during this episode. So thank you, Fern Grimm, Thomas Helberg, Colt Davidson, Kenny Crail, Matt Mazowski, Cody Beckwith, Cameron Bridger, Lance Ovalson, David Yake, Levi, T, Draken, Critum Academy Boys, Sketchy, Ennio, Philip, the host of Ethereon Dark Saga audio drama, you should listen to that show, Charlie Wolfie, and Val the writer of Grease Monkey's Handbook. Thank you, everyone. And now, give me my box cutter. Let's check out this pirate booty. I hope it's like gold and jewels and like, oh, so you many know, jewels. some bones. And it's... Oh. Oh. <laughs> um, that's a... That's a butt. That's just a... That's a big cellulite hairy butt yeah and it's gangrenous because somebody cut off their butt and sent it to us 
Okay. Did they cut um, their own butt off? I think so. I How think do we so. even know this belonged to a pirate? This could be an accountant booty. Close the box. Close the box. I mean, I'm still going to keep it because it's a trophy. I'm going to put it on my mantle. I'm never coming over. Uh, next month, we'll try this again, but hopefully with a better prize. <laughs> so uh, next week, we are getting back, and uh, we are stoked to be bringing you another standout piece for both its great content and excellent weirdness. It is called The Book of House, and it is 97 pages of player options, items, monsters, and special rules for lycanthropy that you're just going to be hankering for. Willie Abneil and his team have put together a bizarre group of options, so come back and see what we chose. Until then, remember, when it comes to character creation, it doesn't have to be optimized. It just has to be fun. Have a great week, guys. We hope you enjoyed this episode of The Lab, and all episodes for that matter. Yeah, but if you left this episode just wanting more, you can join us on Patreon for tons of bonus content. At our lowest tier, you can join our Discord and participate in fan battles and have access to all PDF content that we post. You can even chat with us throughout the day. For just a little bit more, you get two bonus episodes a month and access to the entire backlog of fight clubs, monster labs, and special interviews that we've been pumping out since March of 2018. Patrons in the next tier get early access to our regular show, sometimes as much as nine days prior to release date. They also get PDFs of the character sheets for the characters that we've built in the 2019 episodes and beyond, and they can submit a smooth operator or spitting fire charisma scenario that we will use in each and every episode. And our top, top tier patrons get merch a couple times a year, have a chance to submit characters, and can sway the fates with automatic crits and fails on our charisma rolls during the show. At any level, we hope to bring you more fun. We love working on this show and the support of our patrons helps continue to make it better. If you're digging the new audio production that began in 2019, just know that it wouldn't be possible without those that already donate. And we have more plans to beef up the lab and we need your help to do it. But however you support us, we thank you. We hope to have you back next week. Head over to our Facebook and Twitter at DD Character Lab for some previews of what to expect and lots of links to other great community content. Until Wednesday, peace, love, and point by. 12th level invocation called Baleful Geist. It allows me to cast the spell Geist once using a warlock spell slot against a Oh, no, 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 Dan. Is that G-E-A-S? Yeah, well, how do you say this? It's it's Gesh. We did a whole sketch on that one. It is not Gesh. It is. I looked it up. It, it's a it's a Gaelic word. It's, it's pronounced G-E-S-H. Okay, okay, okay. I'm going to do it. I thought we were kidding in that sketch. Okay. No, no, no. I read I read a whole bunch of stuff to make sure I got it right.